The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news, the gospel of the Lord. The story about Jesus going into the wilderness carries an echo of other old, old stories of faith and hardship and grace. We remember this good man was chosen by God to be the progenitor of the next phase of human history. He built a boat for himself and his family and representatives of all the other living creatures on the earth. And for 40 days, they went through the rainwaters of a great flood. And when the sun finally came out, the rainbow appeared and Noah stepped out on dry land. And we're ready to hear about how he went about laying the foundation for a new world order. And, and what we hear instead is how he succumbed to the weakness of the flesh and fell into a state of drunken nakedness. Then maybe we remember another story about the later descendants of Noah who had fallen into bondage in Egypt. And we remember the dramatic account of how God set them free and helped them to escape to a new life of freedom through the waters of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And we're ready to hear about how they entered into the promised land and they just prospered and enjoyed the life to which they had have always dreamed, but instead we hear how they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, not 40 days, wandering from day to day what they're going to eat and drink, fighting and grumbling and even succumbing to snake bites. Today we hear about Jesus' baptism in the waters of the Jordan River and the beginning of his ministry and the heavens are torn apart and a voice from God, a voice from heaven says... This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit of God descends into him like a dove, and surely this is a crowning moment. This is Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, the one Paul tells us is without sin. But before he can even dry off, the Spirit of God has driven him out into the wilderness where he is tempted by the tempter, bedeviled for 40 days and surrounded by wild and prowling beasts. There's a pattern here. A pattern that along with blessing, trouble and distress are a part of life. 
There are bad things that happen even to the most faithful people, even to the Son of God. We want life to make sense. We want it to be orderly. We want it to be predictable. We want it to be fair. We want it to follow a set list of rules, but it doesn't. Life is chaotic. And there's a lot of bad theology out there as a result of this fact. We tell ourselves or perhaps other people, well-meaning, tell us that bad things, you know, of course, only should happen to bad people. But then, try figuring out who is good and who is bad. Because there's good and bad in all of us. And on those rare occasions when we ourselves are not being especially good, do we really want to suffer for it? No. We want a free pass. People tell us to be faithful and good and God will reward us. But those are false prophets. Do not listen to them. You don't have to be alive for very long to figure out that God is not necessarily rewarding the good and punishing the bad because rotten scoundrels can prosper and relatively decent people sometimes suffer unimaginable hardships and heartbreak and loss. If anything, there's randomness to it. Others will tell us, well, no, no, no. You have it wrong. God will submit you to this suffering in order to test your faith. But that isn't true either. Our faith may be tested, but it isn't God who is doing it. Jesus was not tested in the wilderness by God. God is the one who is with Jesus in the wilderness as he is being tested by the tempter. God is the one who sustains him for 40 days in that experience and helps him emerge intact. God doesn't cause the suffering of the Israelites when they spend 40 years in the wilderness either. God is the one sending the manna from heaven and causing water to flow from desert rocks and telling Moses to set up a pole for the people so they can look at it and not die when the serpents bite them. God is the one leading them into the promised land. People will tell us that God sends suffering upon us in order to teach us some life lesson or to show us how strong we really are, right? Oh, we'll just see how much we can lay on this person and they'll figure out they're stronger than they realized. Really? But scripture and life don't bear that out. It's not a real effective means for teaching us we don't always become better people through suffering. If that were true, then no one who was ever emotionally or physically abused would ever grow up to be an abuser or to perhaps to be some heartless killer. And on the flip side, of course, there are plenty of people who've done atrocious things and yet come from perfectly ordinary families and adequate parents. We don't become better and better through suffering. Sometimes we don't learn a thing. Although, we may discover that we're stronger than we thought, and although we may come the, through the trials a little bit wiser, and although suffering sometimes makes faith stronger, we also might lose our minds, give up on faith, not gain the wisdom of Solomon 
or Yoda. Suffering and loss are not purposeful. Bad things aren't visited upon us by God for our own good. They're not. Suffering is just a fact of life in all of life's randomness. In fact, perhaps without God, all of life would be suffering. Perhaps the default setting in creation, I would argue, was whatever was not life. Maybe the norm is chaos and destruction and devastation. Maybe it's only by the continual action of God pushing back against the forces of chaos and evil that we are blessed with life and joy and goodness at all. Instead of asking, why would God take an innocent life? God doesn't. Death does. We should be praising God for every breath we take, for the miracle of existence at all, how fragile we are, how fragile life is. In any given moment, it is sheer miracle that our bodies work the way they do or that somehow we have air to breathe and that we can survive. Why aren't we praising God for every moment that something doesn't fall on our heads? For every second we aren't in the path of the accident. For every nanosecond that our cells and bodies actually function well enough or properly. Or for every day that we aren't hit by lightning or swept away in a flood or eaten by the wild beasts. In Genesis, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And God did this by creating order and space for life out of the chaos that was. What was before God created was utter, sheer chaos. And there was no room for life, just a formless void. God did not bring the chaos. God was the one who separated the darkness to make space for light. God is the one who separated the waters so that there would be space for air and for life and for a land and who ordered the rising and setting of the sun into days and the orbit of the earth into seasons. But sin entered in somewhere. Maybe it was when humans were created in God's image and given the autonomy and the authority to make our own decisions and choices. Maybe it was before that. Whenever it was that things got disturbed, it distressed God so much it hurt God so much seeing the evil and the wickedness and the suffering in creation. It tore God's heart apart to see the suffering of God's people. God grieved, we're told in Genesis. God grieved. And God decided to end the experiment, to destroy it all because such suffering could not be allowed to continue. And so God stopped holding back the floodwaters and God stopped pushing back against the darkness. And for 40 days and nights, the waters and the darkness covered the earth again as they had in the beginning before God began creating. And all the life that God had once called forth ceased to be. Except, except for the life in the ark. Life that was preserved because God could not really give up on creation or on us. God is the one who told Noah how to build the ark. God is the one who told Noah a flood was coming. 
God is the one who protected Noah and the remnant of life, all life on earth. And God is the one who relented, who changed, who learned. Noah hasn't changed one iota when the flood is over. Not one bit. As soon as the boat has landed, he gets off, he builds an altar, he makes a sacrifice to God, and then that night he gets drunk and he's naked and something bad happens in that tent. But God has made a promise, an oath, never again to give up on us, never again to destroy creation. God has promised never again to let the chaos overwhelm us. God has promised to love and to protect us and the earth and all that lives. God has promised never to be our enemy, never to make war against us again, and this is the sign of that promise. God said, I set my bow in the clouds, and whenever I see it, I will remember. He doesn't say we're supposed to remember. God says, I will remember the covenant that I have made this day with every creature on the earth. People have nothing to do with it. Human beings did not change. Human beings did not make any promises. Humans did not promise to not be at war with God, and we often are. Humans did not promise not to be destructive or evil, and we often are. Humans did not learn anything important in the ark, and they were not transformed by the flood or by the wilderness, and still God loves us, cherishes us, is faithful to us, cares for us, is constantly pushing back against the darkness and the chaos and putting boundaries on the waters so that we can live. If God's work was done, life would be perfect and there would be no suffering, and we call that heaven. But the work is not done. It is ongoing. And now, because of that promise God made, God cannot destroy creation. God has to find another way to deal with sin and suffering and injustice and death from within. If God can't bring judgment upon us from the outside, then God has to now bring transformation from the inside. And so God has made the choice to join us. And that means God is choosing the route of suffering because suffering is still a part of life. God will continue to grieve with us and for us and for creation and all that is not right. And God will continue to love us even when we break God's heart. And God will endure the chaos with us. And God will take all the suffering of the world into God's own heart and bear it there for the sake of the world. And we see that love and that grief in Jesus who chooses the path of the cross, who dies on the cross, though innocent of the things the Romans and the religious leaders accused him of. And because God loves us so much and has promised not to destroy us, God endures that moment also. We belong to a loving, patient, and powerful God. Therefore, we can make it through too. Scarred perhaps, but intact. We can make it through Lent and through war and through financial crisis. We can make it through relocations, parenthood, divorces, cancer, the death of our children, difficult work, and all the other things that bedevil us and test our limits of faith and endurance. 
Because we know that we have been baptized into God who is working to reconcile this world, we can walk without anger and without discouragement, or at least without despair. And because your head is the head upon which life-giving water is continually being poured, even though you cannot see it, and in whose heart a spring of living water is always welling up, even though you're sometimes thirsty, you will have the courage and the stamina and the hope you need for the 40 days or the 40 years of wilderness which may stand between you and the promised life to come.